0: Father. ...for sending your only begotten Son to die on Calvary's cross for my sin, for all our sin. There you showed how much you loved us. And how much our Lord Jesus loved us in laying down his perfect sinless life for us. And taking our sin upon himself. Now, Father, may we have that on our minds and hearts as we look into your word. And remember what it took to win our salvation. And Father, we do want to take this opportunity right now to think of Pastor Joe. Father, he's been a faithful servant all these years. Lord, you've used him in such a mighty way. He needs your hand of healing. I pray that you would touch him. Raise him up. Bring healing, Lord, to his body. And remove those headaches. Give the doctors wisdom to be able to find out what's wrong. Show them, Father, and what treatment can be done. But ultimately, it's by your hand. So, Father, we pray that you give him relief soon and sustain him and Janet by your grace. And we will thank you for what you do as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would take your Bibles now, and let's turn to the book of Colossians. Let's turn to the book of Colossians as we continue our our tremendous study of this marvelous letter to the church at Colossae. And the Apostle Paul is again, in this first chapter, as we have been studying, he's looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. He's looking at his majesty, at his power, at who he is, the supremacy of Christ. He's reminding the church of the deity of Christ that he was the God-man, all God and all man. And we'll pick it up here at verse 19 where we left off as you recall last week we looked at how jesus christ was above all things and he by the will of god the father jesus created all things both in heaven and on earth and so in verse 19 paul reminds the church again that In Jesus was all divinity, the divine character of God. Verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. For all the fullness to dwell in him. What he's saying here, God's will was that when Jesus would take on flesh, be born in a manger, and he would become human that he would be all human but he would have the fullness of of his divine nature that nothing of that changed and again this is in defense of the faith because as you recall there was a lot of heresy we talked about seeping into the church heresy that was telling uh, that these people who were kind of mixing Judaism and some Christianity and some mysticism. And they were coming along and they were telling the church, Jesus really wasn't all God. Or that Jesus, he, he really didn't come in the full flesh. He wasn't completely human. He was mostly spirit. And they go on and on. And they they try and bring Jesus down to human level. And then that led them into Uh, other kinds of idolatry like worship of angels. So here, once again, Paul is making clear that it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, all the deity to dwell in Christ. And then we come to verse 20. He goes on and says, And through him, Jesus to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Here, Paul now is going to focus upon the great doctrine of reconciliation. Reconciliation. That's a big word. And you kids that are sitting here, you may wonder what does that mean well we're going to try and make simplify it for you uh in a, in a little bit but he's can here he is presenting jesus christ as the reconciler he did the reconciling notice he says through him jesus to re- to re- uh, reconcile what's next verse 20 all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And we'll get back to the blood of the cross in a moment. But the rest of verse 20. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So Jesus, through his, his death on the cross, and then, of course, his resurrection, his purpose was to reconcile all things unto himself. In other words, to to, uh, bring all things back to him, that he would be in all and he would have everything. Remember Adam and Eve when they sinned, the curse of sin fell upon creation. And so we see the dying universe. We see this decaying world all because of Adam's and Eve's sin. But it's interesting that he doesn't just point out human reconciliation here. Now, he's going to mention that later, but here he's mentioning that Jesus came to reconcile all things. Well, how can he reconcile? What does that mean, reconcile all things, things in heaven and things on earth? Well, I think the best passage to help us understand this is Romans chapter 8. So if you'll turn with me to Romans 8, And we'll pick it up at verse 18. Romans 8, and look at verse 18 with me if you would. Paul writes to the church at Rome, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the, the, uh, the anxious, look at this verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse, and, and of course, the sons of God re, re, uh, refers to the revealing of, of the, those who were redeemed. Verse 20, and those who have been reconciled unto God, that's us. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not on its own, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. There he's talking again about the curse that came upon the universe, upon all things, both heaven and earth, because of the curse of sin. But yet, end of verse 20. He subjected it this to the curse, but with hope in the hope that verse 21, in the hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Do you see the parallel? You and I were, reconciled through Jesus Christ to God. And of course that word reconciled means to restore a relationship, restored to favor. In other words, restoring back to fellowship and that God and and human kind would be able to commune together and we could go to the Father and come before him because the curse has of sin has been paid for. But it's, it's amazing, as we read here, that creation itself, it needs to be set free. Creation feels the curse. And you see a tree out there, and suddenly it's beautiful in spring, but then suddenly the fall comes, and it changes color, the leaves start to fall, and it starts to, to die. Your plants, those of you who are... Love your gardens. And you have those beautiful flowers. And think of all the hours that you spent making that garden beautiful. They're all going to die. Oh, that's not good to think about, is it? But all those beautiful flowers are going to wither and die. All because of the curse of sin on creation. And so all of creation is... is desiring to be set free. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation, what's next? Groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The earth is groaning. You know, you read about these volcanoes that are starting to erupt all over the world. You can go ahead and answer that. That's fine. Uh, if it's for me, I'm not available to take it. Um, but volcanoes, you know what I mean? They're erupting because they're groaning. You know, when Jesus returns and the curse of sin is lifted and the curse on the universe is lifted and there's a new heaven, new earth, you won't have volcanoes groaning and erupting and blowing like that. You won't have tornadoes and hurricanes and everything else rising up and earthquakes. Just think of it. Every time there's an earthquake, the earth is groaning almost like it's a voice from creation saying, I can't wait for salvation when this curse will be lifted. But that's what he says here. For we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Verse 23. And not only this... But also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, being the church, receiving the Holy Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. How many of you got up this morning and you kind of groaned? Did, did you groan? How about this week? How about the groaning? I did. Yeah, all of a sudden you're going, ooh, where'd that come from? Ah, you know, and that back starts to tighten up or the, the leg muscles and everything else and suddenly your body, the older you get for some reason, the more you groan, it seems. But our bodies are groaning for the the release of uh, of the curse so that, we are eagerly awaiting our new bodies. The bodies that Jesus is going to give us, he's going to make these bodies glorified much like his body. And we're going to be just like him. And we're going to have bodies that won't groan and suffer anymore. But he says there, for we ourselves groan within us waiting to be released, to be reconciled completely in a physical way, But we've already been reconciled spiritually. And that's where Paul is going to go with this. Verse 24. For in hope we have been saved. In hope we have been saved. In other words, when you were saved, you were given hope by the word of God, by Jesus Christ, that he conquered death, conquered sin, and... And he rose again from the dead, and therefore he holds the keys of life, everlasting life. And so we have hope because we have been saved. Don't you love that phrase? We have been saved. And dear friend, if you're struggling today with wondering, "Am I truly saved? Did I, did I did I do something where I I'm, I'm now maybe out of?" The family of God. I've sinned to a point where where I've lost my salvation. You'd be shocked at how many people, pastors, churches, denominations. Actually preach and teach that you can lose your salvation. If I can teach you from here. Teach you that you can lose your salvation. And you better watch it. And so here's the list of things that you need to do to make sure that you don't lose it. Do you know what kind of control a pastor has if he teaches that to the, his flock that that you could lose your salvation? Because you would be living in fear and insecurity all the time. And so you begin to follow and listen to the man and say, well, what, what, what did he say? Was it today? I, maybe I'm not not saved Maybe i did something and that 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 god's grace has been removed from me no dear friend you have if you've been saved by the blood of the land you put your faith and trust in jesus christ he paid it all and you don't have to do any paying yes we seek to obey him once we are saved we seek to live a sanctified life separated for god's glory and seeking to obey his word But I am always and will always be a child of God. You will always be a child of God. Nothing can change that. When Jesus said you must be born again, that was a one-time spiritual birth he's talking about. And if you had that second birth, you have been born into the family of God and you cannot be unborn. Just like you being born physically into your family, nothing can change the fact that you were physically born into that family. You have the family's name. You have the family's blood, mom and dad's blood, flowing through your veins, their DNA, you know, genetic makeup. Nothing can change that. No matter how far you go away from your family, if you run away like a prodigal son and you do whatever you want to do, nothing changes the fact that you are the son of your mother and father or daughter of your mother and father. Take that to heart, dear Christian. And so the Apostle Paul goes on, verse 24. In the hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what? For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. We haven't seen our inheritance yet. We haven't seen our complete reconciliation Uh, where we have our glorified bodies. We haven't seen heaven. But yet, why are we eagerly awaiting to get to heaven or Jesus to return and transform us? It's because of faith. Because we believe what God says about his son, the Lord Jesus. And so that's what Paul is trying to say. So understand that the whole earth, as well as ourselves, are groaning because of the curse of sin. So let's go back to Colossians 1. If you will with me. And look at the middle of verse 20 again. Again he said, And through him to reconcile all things to himself. And so where did the reconciliation between man and God and all of creation come? Having through Christ, having made peace through the blood of his cross having made peace through the blood of his cross. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9. Let's go over to Hebrews 9, verse 11. And if you'll see the writer of Hebrews here, and if you want to read a tremendous book on the doctrine of reconciliation, uh, Hebrews is a tremendous book. Book to study, but here in Hebrews chapter nine, and look at verse eleven with me. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, and again, uh, this is uh, the Old Testament was symbolic. Everything that the Jews did with the high priest, the tabernacle, and everything else was a picture of things to come, that Jesus would be the ultimate high priest to to give the sacrifice for our sins. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You and I were reconciled through the blood of Christ, that Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross. When he died, he went to heaven and that he took that blood and he entered the holy of holies in heaven, that holy tabernacle there. And once for all, the blood was was there and brought to the Father so that the God the Father was satisfied with the one-time sacrifice for all our sin. No other sacrifices ever needed to be made anymore. So it was the blood of Jesus that made you and I uh, children of God, that we were able to have Peace with God through the blood of Christ. For we were once aliens and, and, and enemies of God. And we're going to see that later on here in Colossians. But look again, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance There is reconciliation. My friend, you have been reconciled. If you're a believer today, you've been reconciled to God. You are now uh, a child of God. You can go before him any moment, any time in prayer, and you are accepted in his sight. he, He invites you to come. Because remember, as the blood flowed from Calvary's cross, what happened in the temple in Jerusalem that day? The, the, the veil was rent, torn in two from top to bottom. God was saying to the world, now you have entrance. Now you have reconciliation with me. I am now bringing you mankind back into fellowship with me. So turn back now to Colossians. I just want us to get a real understanding of where our reconciliation our peace with God really came from, and where it stays. For the blood of Christ, if I if I feel that my reconciliation changes with how just always how I'm uh, I'm acting, and if, if I happen to sin, suddenly that reconciliation is is gone, and so now I'm an enemy of God, God again, and I'm not going to heaven. No. When we're talking positionally, we have been reconciled unto God. Now, there's always the part where we are children of God and we are now f- fellowshipping with the Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ through our life. I am, I am walking with the Lord in fellowship. But if I sin and I do commit sin, what does that do? How many of you kids have ever um, disobeyed your parents? No, you, have, you, have you ever not, not done what your parents told you? Thank you. Yes, I see that hand and that hand. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you for raising your hand, being so honest. Remember those times when you, you you disobeyed mom and dad? What happened after you did something that mom and dad told you not to do? Yeah. Were, were you mom and dad still just like this? you were just like real close to them and you could just talk to them and and uh, uh, so mom and dad, what are we doing today? No, that doesn't happen. What, what has happened? When we've sinned in, in our own family, and this gives us the perspective of our spiritual family and with our heavenly father. But when I as a child sinned against my parents, all of a sudden things aren't, Hunky dory. Whoa, that's a that I guess dates me, doesn't it? Whew, using the term hunky dory, but I don't know where that came from. But, but you, you see what I'm saying, kids, all of a sudden things aren't right between you and mom and dad, and so the relationship is strained, you're not as close until what? What do you have to do, kids? Does anybody remember, what do you have to do when you've done something wrong and you want mom and dad to smile at you again and everything to be okay? You had to say the two words. I'm sorry. We still have trouble even as adults to say that, don't we? I'm sorry. But we come and confess the sin to our parents and we say, I'm sorry, I did wrong, please forgive me. Do you know what happens once you do that? There is reconciliation, and that's where that word comes back. That means that you and mom and dad are close again. You're no longer like this, and and they w- are waiting for an apology, a confession, and you're over here, and and you, you, you're kind of, don't want to say I'm sorry, you know, but But then once you do, there's reconciliation. It's a restoring of a relationship. And that's what happens with you and I, with our Heavenly Father. Through life, there is that time where we are going to step out of the will of God. We are going to disobey Him. We're going to sin because we still have the sin nature. So what happens? I don't stop becoming a child of God, but what what does happen is my fellowship isn't what it used to be. Have you ever found yourself, dear Christian, in a place where, where you, you just didn't feel like reading the word of God? You didn't feel like having your quiet time. You didn't feel like even coming to church or going to Bible study. And we all have been there. And that's natural. And sometimes we, we wonder, okay, what's wrong? And sometimes it's just the fact that I've allowed the world and the things of the world to replace Jesus Christ as first in my life and 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 so therefore I've kind of pushed him in the background and so I I've, I've allowed myself to to kind of just sway away from the Lord and I'm not walking closely with him anymore and sometimes uh, there's the sin of neglect where I neglect my relationship with the Lord and that's suddenly when I, I don't feel as close to the Lord as I used to. That's when I need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what's wrong, but I'm sorry for, for going my own way, doing my own thing, and forgetting you. And we come back and we reconcile. He reconciles with us. So it's an amazing thing uh, how beautiful it is to understand reconciliation here. And it was, our peace was made through the cross of Christ. Christ. And look at the rest of this now. Verse, look at verse uh, 21, Colossians 1. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body. Notice Paul uses the word fleshly because this again is to fight the heretics that have been teaching that Jesus, Jesus wasn't fully human and didn't have a fleshly body. That basically he looked like a fleshly body, but he was kind of like an angel. And so he didn't really have a human body. But he's saying through his fleshly body, through death, that we were reconciled, here he says again, through the death of Christ on the cross in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Nobody can condemn you anymore because of the blood of the Savior. Isn't that wonderful? Satan will try all he can to try and condemn you and get into your mind and say, why, you you dirty, rotten sinner. God doesn't, God doesn't want you anymore. Look what you've done. He's not going to forgive you. And Satan plays with our mind and gets us to the place where we, we think, oh, Man, I I guess I failed the Lord too much. He he can't forgive me. Have you ever been there where you you felt you just couldn't be forgiven? I've talked to people who who have been there and said, I don't feel I can be forgiven. God can't forgive me of my sin because I'm too far gone. But there's no sin he won't forgive. And if we understand this, that, that it was through his blood, Through his sacrifice, I have been redeemed, I've been reconciled, and that is forever. Therefore, no one can point the finger and say, well, you're still condemned. You're, you're, You're still going to hell. Satan would love us to get to think that. And then verse 23, he writes, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established, And steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now, this passage, this verse has created a lot of problems. Okay. And because of one word. It's the first word in verse 23. It's the word if. Do you see that? So, again, back in verse 22, he said, Yet he, Jesus, has now reconciled you. In other words, done deal, okay? Through his fleshly body, through his death, so that he will present you blameless before God the Father and beyond reproach. But then there's that word verse twenty three if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast that that verse has been taken by some people to think that oh boy if if I continue to be steadfast uh man if if i don't continue and i'm always steadfast and, and i'm not uh, i'm not always uh steadfast established in my faith then then ooh then I, then i all of a sudden i may not be reconciled to god anymore i'm talking about positionally as a child of god but i want you to take note that that word if in the greek if you go we go back and we understand what the greek word is for that the word if there is, is not talking about a future if, like if you do this. But the meaning in the Greek of the words, if indeed you continue in, in the faith, it does not mean your reconciliation will remain, uh, in place, uh, uh, will remain in place because of your merits, because of what you do or for being faithful. But that little word, if, it's important to realize that in the Greek, this word, if, indicates an assumption of truth. Okay? Uh, I hope I don't lose you. It, the word, if, indicates an assumption of truth. So, this, if, is talking about from the past. It's used in past tense. So you want to put another word in there if you really wanted to, you know, get the Greek meaning? You'd put the word since in there. Because the church at Colossae was being faithful. They were being steadfast. Their hope was in the gospel. So let's read it, but put the word since in there. Verse 23. Paul would write, Since indeed... You continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and which I, Paul, was a minister of. So understand that he's talking about since you, you, you church, you, you've, you've, you've been saved, you're reconciled to God and you are walking in the gospel, walking in truth. I've seen it. Since you're doing that, it thrills me, and it thrills my heart. You know, there are a lot of uh, examples in the Scriptures about those who have uh, uh, experienced reconciliation, but I want you to see this one in closing. Let's wrap it up in Luke chapter 19. So if you'll go over to Luke 19 with me. And this will be a familiar story. Some of you kids that are sitting here. This might be one of the first stories you heard in Sunday school. Okay. And when was the last time you heard a message on Zacchaeus? <laughs> it has been a long time, hasn't it? Remember that, little, that guy? Remember the story, kids, about Zacchaeus? What did he do? Anybody want to tell me? Any of the kids? here? So what did Zacchaeus do? The little guy. He, could, he climbed up in a tree, and why did he climb up in a tree? He couldn't see Jesus, and he wanted, thank you. That was awesome. He wanted to see Jesus. That's our story. But did you realize that the story of Zacchaeus is a story of reconciliation? Let's just read the few verses, 1 through 10. And he, Jesus, entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man, called, <clears throat> a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax gatherer. Ooh, you know what that means? The Jews hated him. He was a sinner. He was a bad guy. If he's a tax collector, which means he collects his tax for Rome... Oh, yeah. Yeah. They didn't like him. And he was what? Rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature, short guy. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Excuse me. And when Jesus came to the place, (laughs) Jesus knew he was up there. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today I must stay at your house. Can you imagine Zacchaeus? All of a sudden he's trying to see Jesus, never saw him before. And suddenly Jesus stops and talks to him up there. Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. We're going home. I'm going to your house. Can you imagine the shock of this guy? Look at verse 6. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. But you see, look at the reputation of Zacchaeus in verse 7. And when they saw it, all the Jews and and the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Look at Jesus. He's going to go to the house of a sinner. Oh, what does that tell you about Jesus? Jesus didn't care, did he? He was seeking Zacchaeus and trying to get him reconciled to God so that he might be saved. In verse 8, and Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, because all of a sudden, now this Jesus has come at his house. He couldn't believe it. So already in the heart of Zacchaeus, he has put his faith in trust in Jesus as the Messiah. He is now saved. He's coming to faith. And what does, now he's reconciled in his heart to God through Jesus And so when we realize we are truly reconciled, what will that do? That will cause us to to reconcile to others, to mend relationships maybe that are broken. Look what he did. Because suddenly he felt the sin in his life and he needed to correct and, and fix things with those who he stole from. Maybe verse eight. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I had defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Wow. What was Zacchaeus going to do? He was going to reconcile things with those that he stole from, those that he took advantage of. And this is, this is a, a challenge to each one of us. There may be a relationship right now you're thinking of. Think of a relationship that you have not reconciled that with that individual, that person. You have not done what you could to reconcile and make and, and, and try on your part to reconcile and, and, and bring back that relationship. Why do, sometimes it's hard to do because we're too proud. But Zacchaeus is a beautiful example of that. He was reconciled through Jesus. Therefore, suddenly he goes, well, I've got to do some reconciling on an earthly level, on a human level, human to human. And then Jesus says, verse 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham." For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. My dear friends, reconciliation was done by who? It was done by God. As we look into what what the scriptures say, it always says God reconciled us through Christ. If we did not reconcile, we think that 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 it's all because of us. But no, God was the one who did the reconciling through His Son, the Lord Jesus. He stepped into our lives. He came with the, the offer of reconciliation through the blood of Christ, and He said, "I want you. I my Son has rec, uh, allowed reconciliation, so that if you will trust My Son and accept His." His sacrifice on the cross for your sins. God says, you can come to me and we will have fellowship. You'll be my child. We can be reconciled. We will be close. And you, you can walk with the Lord. If you're not a Christian today, you need to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And dear Christian, if there's someone out there you're thinking of that you need to reconcile with, make things right. What did Zacchaeus do? He humbled himself before the Lord. And that's what we need to do. We need to come and humble ourselves before others that we might seek their forgiveness or if they've done harm to us, tell them that we forgive them. And and with God's help, there can be a restoration of fellowship. Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord this morning, dear Christian, perhaps... You've struggled with reconciliation. And you've been struggling with the assurance of your salvation. I just have this to say to you, dear friend. Jesus paid it all. He paid the price that you could be reconciled and have been reconciled. Therefore, you are a child of God till you get to heaven all the way home. You belong to him. But perhaps you're not where you should be in your walk with the Lord. And you're not walking in obedience like you should or or walking in faith like you should. Would you tell the Lord, confess that as sin, say, Father, I want to be close again to you. Forgive me of my sin. And Christian, you will once again have that fellowship. And if you are here without Christ, I invite you to open your heart and receive the Son of God As your personal Lord and Savior. You can do it right now. Right now where you sit. With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're ready to give your heart to Christ. And be reconciled unto God. Would you pray with me now? Pray a prayer like this. Something like this. Say dear Lord Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. And took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. With our heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you prayed a prayer like that, but you, it was a prayer of confessing your faith to him. You are telling the Lord that you receive him. As your Savior. You are now saved. If you believe it in your heart. Jesus has entered your life. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. You are a child of God now. Welcome to the family. Father in heaven. I thank you Lord. For speaking to us once again. Through your living word. Thank you Father. For reminding us of the great reconciliation. That you accomplished. Through your son on the cross. As he shed his blood. And took our sins upon himself. That we could be reconciled unto you. Oh, Father, help us to walk close to you. Keep short accounts with you. Father, I pray for any decisions that were made this day. That, Father, you might seal them to our hearts. And, Father, we might carry these decisions through. As we leave this place. With your strength to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.